Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On this episode of the podcast, my guest is Justin Brierley, the author of the new book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. Justin is a UK broadcaster, writer, and speaker who was the longtime host of the unbelievable show for Premier Christian Radio. For nearly two decades, Justin has welcomed atheists, agnostics, and Christians to engage in meaningful conversations around science, faith, and culture. He's heard every argument against the faith, yet remains optimistic about a resurgence of belief. In the conversation, Justin and I discuss discerning our path in life, the new atheism movement, culture and belief in God, searching for wisdom and wrestling with God, wisdom in daily life, and so much more. All right, without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Justin Brierley. All right. Well, Justin, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure, as I was just saying uh, before we hit record there, um, really looking forward to this. I, I've been a, a longtime listener of some of the content that you've put out, so this is a, a real treat for me. And today we're discussing your new book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. But before we get into the book, we generally spend a little bit of time talking uh, about you and maybe how your path in life got started. So you've been a longtime host of the Unbelievable podcast. Could you kind of go back to the beginning if you can think, um, you know, how that all got started? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I grew up in a Christian family, so in a way, faith was there from early on, but I guess I... I owned my faith for myself in my sort of mid to late teens and kind of went in a fairly academic direction, though, as well as a creative direction at university, studied politics, philosophy and economics um, and really got into, I think, probably in my sort of late teens, early 20s, what we now call Christian apologetics, the intellectual defense of the faith. That was the way that I really helped to put some sort of intellectual meat on the experience I'd had, you know, as as a Christian believer. Um, and that essentially led me down the path of looking for something where I could express that vocation. Um, it led me to working in radio. Uh, I kind of I had some giftings in just you know presentation and that kind of thing, and and I was looking for a way to to express that through media, through broadcast. And what that eventually turned into was you know this long running show, unbelievable where I brought Christians and non-Christians, so skeptics, atheists, seekers, people of other faiths together to to dialogue and debate whether Christianity made sense or not. And and so I had the privilege of hosting that show for over 17 years, um, a, a, long, a long run. Um, I recently moved on from host, hosting it actually just about seven or eight months ago, um, but it continues in new hands and I'm, I'm working on some new projects now. But it was a wonderful entryway into to being able to speak to all kinds of interesting people on both sides of the the faith debate 
about why they did or didn't believe. And in the process, I learned an awful lot myself and was able to sort of put the pieces together myself at an intellectual level, I guess, about why the Christian story does make sense to me, Um, not just as something I've experienced on a kind of psychological or emotional level, but actually, I think at at an intellectual level, I think it holds together as well. So so that's kind of what, you know, how it all came together. And and the show, you know, really was a wonderful opportunity to host really kind of open-ended conversations of that kind. Sadly, conversations that are sometimes lacking in our culture where you have, you know, good disagreement. Um, I think it's harder to have that. So that in itself, I think, was a good thing as well, just to be able to model that that kind of discussion to the general public. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. I see that um, you've got this new venture as the co-host of Reenchanting. Would you mind um, sharing a little bit about this new project with us? Yeah. So that's one of a couple of new projects. Um, the Reenchanting podcast and video show um, is something I, I do with an organization called the Center for Cultural Witness in London. Um, and we ha- host interesting people, sometimes Christians, sometimes not, to talk about the ways in which we can reenchant a kind of secular, materialist, post Christian culture with that Christian vision of reality. Um, and so, yeah, um, I and my co host, Bell Tyndall. Um, we've had the pleasure of speaking to people, you know, who are kind of maybe on the edges of faith, people like the historian Tom Holland, for instance, um, who's done a lot of work in this area of the way in which uh, we swim essentially in Christian waters that are the result of the Christian revolution 2000 years ago. Uh, or again, Louise Perry, a similar example of someone who isn't a Christian, but has very much come to realize as a, a an intellectual, as a thinker, that for, in her case, that the sexual revolution has not been good for women and that actually she's gravitated far more towards a Christian understanding of sex and relationships and, and acknowledging the value that that has, even though it's, you know, it's quite an unpopular thing in some ways in today's culture. So there's those interesting kind of secular thinkers who are reconsidering the value of Christianity, as well as a number of interesting Christians, some of them quite recent converts, people like Paul Kingsnorth, who we featured on our first season, who's a celebrated author and poet here in the UK, but had quite a remarkable conversion only a few years ago. Um, so, so yeah, it's really interesting. And we, we are able to record it in a wonderful venue as well, which makes all the difference. We, we do it on top of Lambeth Palace Library in the heart of London, uh, this kind of rooftop uh, filming venue, which overlooks the Houses of Parliament right behind us. So it's, it's a lovely place to be able to do it. It kind of really puts you in the mood for talking about these big issues. And um, yeah, so that's that's a wonderful thing. You can listen to it on podcast. You can check it out on video. The Reenchanting Show is what you're looking for. Nice. We'll we'll put a link in the show notes so it's easy to find. Um, we ask a lot of guests that come on some sort of question of um, how you maybe discern your path in life. You, you might put it, and you think about leaving the unbelievable podcast after 17 years, if you say, like embarking on new projects. How do you think about discerning some of these forks in the road in life? Mm. I think often you you can only really see the sense that life has made looking back on, on things. You often only see the map in hindsight. And very often it doesn't feel like as things, you know, that you'll have a very clear sense of exactly what direction you should go. I think a lot of us are going on a gut level kind of intuition and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, having said all that, um, I, th- I think there is a sense in which you can, you have to sort of try and listen for 
some kind of an inner, inner, an inner voice, which I would say in my case, I, I hope is a, a voice that is guided by the spirit, by the Holy Spirit, because um, I think you can easily settle for the norm, the easy path. Um, to some extent, my decision to leave Unbelievable was, yeah, it was a very significant one for me. I'd, you know, worked as a salaried, you know, member of that organization for over 20 years. Um, but I'd had an increasing sense I think kind of once I hit 40, maybe there was something of a midlife crisis aspect to this that I needed to start to kind of, um, I guess, have a little bit more control over some of the things I was producing, um, a bit more ownership. Um, I loved hosting the Unbelievable show, but but ultimately, you know, it wasn't my show. Um, and to that extent, I knew that uh, I, I had to kind of, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, always be able to take it in the direction I specifically wanted to. So so I, and, and I just had a sense, actually, that God might be calling me to something bigger um, to um, spread my wings a bit and start to look at some new things, cultural wins going on, some new projects, possibly. Um, and I just had this real sense growing over time that probably the time was going to come when I, I should sort of essentially go freelance, go, you know, spread my wings and and start to engage some of these projects myself. Now, it was a kind of a painful process at the same time because, you know, that comes with all kinds of, um, you know, challenges financially, primarily when you leave, you know, what had become a reasonably well-paying position, having established some successful podcasts for Premier Christian Radio over, over several years, um, to suddenly just being, you know, going it alone and trying to make a living. But God's been good. And um, uh, that step of faith, if you like, um, has has really sort of we've been really felt supported in doing that and i i would say i mean without going to detail there were all kinds of other sort of smaller what i might call god incidences that that together for me at least gave me the confidence that this was the right thing to be doing even though it was a big step um there were a number of people who seemed to be confirming in in ways that they would never have known um that that this was actually the right the right decision so um so yeah, it was it was definitely having you know often spoken on the idea of faith and trust over many years. This was one of those <laughs> moments where I really had to kind of put it into practice, and um, and I'm really glad. And again, it's only in hindsight you see these things, but there are all kinds of things which I now realise actually I wouldn't be able to do. For instance, there's a new podcast I've just released called the um, which is named after the book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, a very kind of detailed deep dive documentary podcast series, and had I just continued what I was doing, that would never have been possible. I would never have been able to to, to do that. And yeah, I, I now feel like, oh, this is what I was supposed to be doing right now. Um, so so there's all kinds of ways in which you only kind of, it's once you've taken that step that things kind of make sense in retrospect, if you know what I mean. Nice. I, I appreciate you you sharing that, Justin, and, and glad to hear that it's, that it's been going well. Uh, I have a big curiosity question. Um, I'm thinking about now, like these 17 years facilitating these conversations and debates with all sorts of thinkers and, you know, atheist thinkers and all, all this type of stuff. Looking back, as you say, were there times of where your, you know, particular spiritual life or faith kind of teetered back and forth? Were there any sort of... um 
you know, I wouldn't necessarily say like crisis of faith, but, you know, any sort of uh, doubts that surprised you along the way, things like that. For sure. Absolutely. And in a way, I, I kind of purposefully put myself in the path of those doubts by hosting this show where I was essentially inviting skeptics, atheists to come on and kind of make their best objections against Christianity. I mean, the fortunate thing was I was obviously doing it in an environment where it was a kind of like a controlled explosion. You you, you mm. weren't just sort of letting it happen. You were kind of also, I was trying to select someone opposite them who hopefully could do a good job of responding. So it was, it, it, I was exposing myself and in, of course, my audience as well to a lot of big questions, doubts, heart, you know, skeptical issues, but, but in such a way where I hoped that, that we would be able to find someone on the other side who could respond meaningfully to them. Now, it wasn't that that always meant the Christian one and, and, you know, all my doubts evaporated and were satisfied, but far from it, because life's not that simple. You inevitably end up seeing Christianity, faith, the Bible, science as more complex and messy than perhaps you were presented it, you know, when maybe, you know, as a, as a teenager, when I found my faith, you know, inevitably you simply learn more along the way. Um, but what I discovered, I suppose, was that despite the fact that there were still plenty of mysteries, questions, things that I hadn't fully resolved in my mind, at least, um, there was also a kind of intellectual core to the Christian faith that actually became apparent in the process as well. And for me, that was pretty important, finding that, even though there were going to be things that I, I couldn't necessarily fully explain. And I also kind of got to the point where I realized that actually everyone comes to life with a worldview that to some extent is based on faith. Um, that, that includes atheists, and skeptics and that there were certain things about the world and our experience as humans that the atheist worldview just wasn't set up to deal with as well as i felt christianity was in the end so it wasn't just that i had questions presented to me about the christian faith which there were legitimate questions about there were also questions about the atheist worldview where, where i felt the atheist worldview didn't you know satisfy my sense of, of how to put the pieces together and in the end i, I felt christianity despite the many mysteries that still <laughs> remain, was a more satisfying and more compelling explanation of reality. Um, so, so that's kind of where I, I kind of ended up in the end. But yeah, there were some one or two sleepless nights when I got presented with, you know, some new argument by Bart Ehrman, you know, tearing down the Bible in some way. And <laughs> I had to read the book before I brought him on. And But then, you know, it, I usually found the Christian guest, you know, could do a pretty good job of actually making you realize that. Ah, there's two two sides to every argument and it's not always as simple as the the skeptic sometimes makes it out but it's not always as simple as the christian makes it out either so you have to just navigate that and realize you know life faith christianity is more complex complicated usually than you're often led to believe <laughs> beautiful well your subtitle of the book says why new atheism grew old and secular thinkers are considering christianity again we don't necessarily on this show get into um, Christian apologetics or any anything like that. So there, there might be some listeners that are not necessarily familiar with the term new atheism. Well, you know, what is new atheism for anyone that's new to it, not familiar? Well, I suppose it's more what was new atheism. Yeah. <laughs> really my argument in the book is that it kind of imploded, unraveled, and really, if it exists at all, it's a, a shadow of its former self. But new atheism, in a sense, was... This, this very popular movement in the mid-2000s 
that was spearheaded by popular intellectuals like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens and others. That was just a very anti-God kind of movement in our popular culture. Um, each of them had a, a kind of best-selling anti-God book and it was expressed in various ways in our culture. Here in the UK, there was an, an atheist bus campaign where London buses circulated the capital bearing this slogan, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And over in the US, you know, you had things like the Reason Rally, where thousands of skeptics descended on Washington, D.C. to sort of march for reason and science and against superstition and religion and so on. So it was this really interesting moment in our culture, I think, um, that was very much buoyed up by the the, the birth of social media, early forms, at least, of social media, chat rooms, blogs, those kinds of things, where formerly, you know, atheists who perhaps weren't able to get together as easily suddenly found each other and skeptics and and it was kind of there were certain fears going around about the religious right in the US, teaching of creationism in schools. Um, and obviously, 9-11, you know, ha- having happened fairly recently, gave it a real big push. So this new atheist kind of movement, suddenly, you know, there was a, a lot of talk about it. It was often in the headlines. There were lots of op-eds by these well-known atheist speakers. And there were atheist conferences and everything else. So it was a big thing. It was a big deal for a while. And and a lot of the conversations I had on my show often revolved around those issues and those speakers. But as I say, it did actually peter out. And there were lots of reasons for that. Partly, I think people moved on. Um, People almost began to realize that some of these new atheist types were almost as fundamentalist and religious (laughs) in in a funny way as some of the, the fundamentalists they were critiquing but also that internally the movement kind of unraveled quite significantly because once they'd agreed that god didn't exist and religion was bad for you it turned out a lot of atheists then couldn't agree on anything else they had very different ideas about where to take this movement and that led to all kinds of controversies and fallouts and all kinds of things that effectively spelled the end of this new atheist movement so so that in a nutshell is is my take on what the new atheism was uh, appreciate that. And there might also be some listeners that are, you know, skeptical or surprised to hear about an idea of rebirth and, and belief in God. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, in, in your view, what maybe, you know, shifted the tides in in uh, this direction? And I, I totally accept that it is a strange idea because when you look at the statistics, they're all pointing in the direction of the decline of Christian faith in the West church going is is falling fewer and fewer people describing themselves as christians the growth of the so-called nuns those who say they have no religious affiliation so on one level you know the picture looks like it's just sort of heading towards terminal extinction um but what's interesting to me is that that there's also been something else happening i think you could say further upstream and it's that i've increasingly seen that as that new atheism as i say has faded away it's left a lot of people with the, the same questions they've always had about, well, what am I here for? What's the purpose of life? And I think it's increasingly becoming obvious that the stories people are telling themselves, the ways they're trying to make sense of life aren't working for them. A lot of psychologists have talked about the fact we're living in a meaning crisis in our culture, a kind of an identity crisis, because uh, we no longer have this unifying story that the Christian story once gave people, whether they realized it or not, they were kind of molded in a sense by this this shared story about who they were how they fitted into this created order they were made in the image of god for a purpose life was difficult but god had come in person to stand with them in it and there was this future hope that doesn't exist anymore for most people and so they've replaced it with lots of other 
kind of quasi-religious stories. In some ways, you could almost see things like the, you know, the proliferation of sexual and gender identities, for instance, having that kind of almost a sacred character for many people. And that's where they find their meaning and identity or, or like some political mythology, you know, seeing Trump as the savior of America as, as another kind of quasi-religious sort of story. But none of them are working. They're, they're all just butting up against each other and causing chaos in our culture, you know, literally the culture wars. And so what I discovered was a lot of secular intellectuals taking a second look at Christianity and saying, well, what if Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens got it wrong? What if actually we need something like Christianity just to get on in culture? What if actually civilization as we know it kind of depends on the Christian faith? And so I was increasingly talking in these conversations I was hosting with people who were not in that sense, they weren't Christians, but they weren't anti-religious. They weren't anti-Christianity either in the way the the new atheists were. In fact, they were saying things that were very sort of positive about faith, you know, seeing the value of faith. I mean, the preeminent example of, of this type of person is Jordan Peterson, who this Canadian psychology professor became very well known, you know, quite controversial, you know, in terms of political and social views, but had a huge audience, especially of young men, you know, looking for meaning, you know, these kind of people from this meaning crisis. And where was he pointing them? Back to the Bible, you know, three hour lectures on the book of Genesis packed out, you know, huge platform on social media, you know, YouTube podcasts and so on. And just constantly it appeared talking about God and talking about the way that we need to make sense of life with something bigger. So I just noticed that this was happening in our culture, that that people still need a story to make sense of life by. And it felt like more and more of these secular intellectuals were giving Christianity a second look and even acting as kind of as a gateway for people to actually walk through the door and embrace Christianity. So so that's really what the core of the book is about in the end. Hmm. I'm curious your thoughts on... Um, um, Bishop Barron, who I, I want to say has been a, a guest on on your show a while back, has talked about a beige faith, or maybe he says something like a beige Catholicism. This uh, like a faith that's stripped of its of the beauty, um, and another idea of maybe dumbing down the faith. And as you mentioned, Jordan Peterson might be a counter to that because some of these uh, particular lecturers are very intellectual at a you know very high level do you think there's also a rebirth in like bringing the beauty and the mystery of faith along with you know that that same way in terms of an intellectual thing beyond um obviously beyond jordan peterson do you see a rebirth mm. there as well i do i do and and the, the great danger of course is that you can kind of just stop at seeing Christianity in purely kind of psychological terms, you know, as a, yeah. a really useful story to get the, you know, the West through the night sort of thing. And, and arguably Jordan Peterson often does seem to stop there. You know, he, he never quite seems to fully embrace the idea that Jesus Christ really is the son of God and really did rise from the dead. It's, it's all archetypes and symbolism and Jungian kind of interpretation very often in, in Peterson's framework. But having said that, you know, Sometimes he does seem to be teetering on the edge, you know, of, of saying, no, there's, it's more than that. It's, it's kind of, and I think, and I think for a lot of people, as I say, he has been a gateway, 
and and I think people like Bishop Barron are seeing this as well, that actually he's opened up a new interest in religion, in Christianity specifically. And there are people walking through that door and re- and discovering, ah, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. This isn't what I was told it was. I, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> there have been some pretty uh, unappealing versions of Christianity doing the rounds. There's, there's lots of sort of sub-Christian versions of Christianity that people often assume is what it is um and sadly um you know when that's what you're presented with that that's what you assume it is what i'm seeing increasingly though is that people are being turned onto a onto a more dynamic intellectually engaging and kind of deeper more mysterious as you say form of christianity uh, more ancient forms of christianity in that sense by some of these thinkers so um one of the people that I feature in the book is a guy called Paul Kingsnorth, who's uh, a well-known here in the UK author and poet um, and, you know, very well-respected intellectual thinker and seeker. But just in the last few years, he converted to Christianity, having been on a very interesting journey from sort of teenage atheism through a long spell as a Buddhist to even engaging in Wicca, kind of, you know, nature worship, essentially. So finally, you know, he says he was almost dragged kicking and screaming but into into christian faith and and he finds himself very surprised at that but suddenly the pieces all come together for paul king's north and he finds that yes the, i i had you know he had completely dismissed christianity as a as an option because he thought it was just facile and you know what people do um you know when they're culturally kind of nominally religious but he realized that there, there was actually he hadn't really understood christianity and he's actually embraced a very ancient form of christianity he's he's gone into the eastern orthodox church and that's what i'm noticing with a lot of these secular thinkers they're quite often embracing those sort of more ancient ones either catholicism orthodoxy because i think they want the mystery and the depth and the history that that exists there because i think they're so dissatisfied almost with the the kind of secular cultural story that we're living in which feels so banal and and surface level and kind of you know, meaningless, that, that actually they're looking for something deeper, rooted, that's mysterious, yes, but kind of is just a more interesting way of, of looking at reality. So a lot of these thinkers, if they're attracted to church at all, they're, they're kind of going for those, that more kind of ancient version of church, that more historically rooted version of church. They're kind of put off actually often by modern incarnations of church with with drums and smoke machines or or kind of watered down versions of Christianity that are essentially just you know, some sort of social gospel with a bit of God sprinkled on top. So, so I think um, it is interesting what you say. I think, I think there is a, a kind of a movement among the people I'm describing in this book in that direction. You said something earlier that we all essentially have a worldview and it's maybe something that's come up in, in previous episodes. I'm curious about this idea of um, maybe you'd say wrestling with God or living with some sort of, you know, question of how do you make sense of things or how do you, how do you think about God? Do you think we're called in some sort sort of way to wrestle with some of these questions? Cause there, there might be some listeners that maybe they don't, they don't necessarily feel any sort of call or, or interest um, if they're listening to this, they're obviously feel some sort of call to search for wisdom, but like, is the search for wisdom, the same 
thing in a way or a similar path? Sorry for the rambling question, but anyway, you no, want to take it, that. No, I, I know what you mean by the question. <clears throat> I guess for me, you know, and I, I do speak here as a Christian, uh, I fully acknowledge that my the way I see things or the way, you know, my perspective isn't going to be the same as everyone else. But I, I, I guess I see any anybody who's searching for for wisdom or some kind of form of transcendent reality my view is they are in the end searching for god they just might not have the name for that because god often comes with a lot of baggage for people they've got a very specific picture of god that may not be a very good one from childhood you know sort of experiences or just bad experiences of religion in general but actually i think um i if anyone says look i'm just a kind of i'm spiritual but not religious or i'm kind of i'm looking for wisdom I think in the end, they're still looking for God um, because they're looking for something that is like a foundation for reality, something that kind of makes sense of who they are. And um, and in my experience, um, you know, you don't have to be quote unquote religious to actually essentially be doing religious kinds of things because whenever you're um, – invested in something like if it's maybe it's a social cause that you feel absolutely passionate about you know um it, it may be providing for the poor it it may be some kind of political cause it may be whatever it is it, it, in a very real way i think jordan peterson's onto something when he says whatever the the thing at the top of that hierarchy of values for you is it serves the the kind of it serves in the place of god basically I think what he's kind of onto there is the idea that there is a kind of a God-shaped hole, whether we call it that or not, in everyone's life. And we, we're filling it with something because we're kind of made to live, I think, in a story, in a story that makes sense of who we are, that that, that we're not just bouncing around chaotically. We, we have this very strong sense that that we're, we, we, we have to devote our life to something. We have to make a difference. There has to be a sort of a meaning to, to this thing. It's not just a kind of you know, sound and fury that signifieth nothing as, as Shakespeare put it, that there's a, you know, that there's a story to be told here. And I think that comes through in all kinds of ways, you know, often it's kind of distorted ways. I think uh, people often end up actually going down really damaging sort of rabbit holes in the search for meaning. There, there can be very destructive ways of, of looking for that. There can be very positive ways for that, which still don't necessarily make you a Christian. But in the end, I think all of them are pointing towards a search for something foundational, something that is like the the, the bedrock of reality. And for me, that that thing has always got to be God. I think there's a there's a sense in which it's always going to come back to that. Um, and so for me, you know, whether you think, as I say, whether whether you call it wisdom, call it search for meaning, search for the transcendent, I th I think ultimately we're talking about the same thing in the end. I just believe that that meaning that purpose, that transcendence, that story has been fulfilled specifically, and this is the, the central claim of Christianity, in a person, that, that there's a logos, uh, 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 this, this meaning-making principle in the universe that became human, believe it or not, that actually walked this earth and experienced what it is to be human and had a name, Jesus Christ. So, so for me, yes, to put a, a very rambling answer to what was actually a very good question of yours. Um, I, I think we're ultimately talking about the same thing. I, I sometimes wonder about, um, 
a certain level of maybe wisdom or understanding to actually like appreciate a particular religious tradition, maybe like sometimes like as an example, if you think of uh, maybe some of the Buddha's insights into the mind, like to have an appreciation for that, you probably need some sort of basic understanding of your own mind to see the wisdom of what he's talking about. And I don't know, it seems like there's something similar there in the way of like, as you talk about Jesus, a particular parable, the life, whatever it may be, a maybe deeper wisdom about, you know, fill in the blank to maybe appreciate that. Mm. Like, how do you Mm. think about Mm. that? Yeah. I mean, I think without doubt, Jesus had an incredible amount of wisdom to share. And the reason we still quote him and so many of those phrases from scripture are, are things that we still use in everyday parlance is because he was evidently an extraordinarily good teacher who said things that made people listen and that they then wanted to tell other people and, and you know, carried on telling. Now, of course, he's not the only religious teacher that has ever lived. As you say, there are many people who have influenced lots of cultures and parts of the world, Buddha and so on, who who you could say have, have all had their influence. So they've been kind of, you know, great spiritual teachers at one level or another um i mean i think one of the first things i would want to say is that being a christian does not mean i don't take anything from other religions that that, that they don't have anything to offer they don't have their own wisdom uh and so on absolutely think they do i think there's there's an awful lot you know that i might share in common with a muslim with you know someone from another tradition um and and in that sense you know I th- at that level, I'd say a Christian is more open to the validity of other religions, is a bit more kind of open-minded than, than an atheist is who says, well, they're all wrong. You know, Actually, I think lots of religions have got things right, some things right. Uh, you know, The Apostle Paul in the Bible says as much when he goes to the Athenians in Greece in the book of Acts and he sees all these idols, you know, these pagan religions, and rather than berating them, you know, how dare you be worshipping idols, which would have been an anathema to him as a, as a you know, God-fearing Jew. But he, instead, when he gets his opportunity to speak to the thinkers and the Stoics and the philosophers on Mars Hill, he says, I see that you're very religious in every way, but let me tell you about the God that you're looking for. Um, uh, you're stumbling around in the dark. You're nearly there. You're grasping. Um, I want to show you the God that you've been searching for. So I don't think we should dismiss those other religious traditions. They're looking for something. They're on the right path. They're, they're, they're kind of trying to work it out. I suppose the claim, and it is an audacious claim, inevitably, it's it's a specific claim of the Christian, is that all of those searchings find their home in Jesus Christ, that actually that is the ultimate fulfillment of any sort of wisdom, tradition, longing, searching, um, that actually Jesus isn't simply one among many spiritual teachers he he certainly was a great spiritual teacher but he was more than that he was who he claimed to be he was the son of god he was god incarnate and that makes all the difference no no other in the no other teacher has claimed in quite the same way as jesus has to be god in human flesh and vindicated that by rising again so for me that kind of puts jesus at a different level to the other prophets and spiritual teachers and so on um while not discounting the fact that they have obviously you know, in their own way, being inspired, and there are things we can value from their tradition. But I would say we, it's 
for me it's fulfilled if you like in that sense in in jesus christ hmm. i really enjoyed this chapter in the book where you you talk about some of these these stories of, of listeners that have maybe been through some sort of uh, deconstruction of their own faith that have found their their particular path do you have a a favorite story that that comes to mind of, of one of these listeners yeah i mean that there I mean, deconstruction goes in lots of different directions, doesn't it? Because um, sometimes it's it's kind of deconstructing actually an atheist worldview. You know, I've got a good friend, Peter Barham, whose story I tell in the book and in this new podcast, who kind of grew up in a Christian family, kind of rejected it all at university, very much went on to Team New Atheist, you know, got really into Richard Dawkins and co. But it was actually the fact that he then ended up with a Christian housemate and a very atheist Christian housemate kind of debating these issues that made him have to kind of face up to it and ask well well is there a truth to this and he then went on to discover some of the responses to the new atheists um in the form of christian intellectuals like william lane craig and others and and that brought him on a kind of intellectual and emotional journey back to faith and and kind of reconstructing it and, and coming to a very different you know christian faith than the one he'd sort of rejected as an adolescent um equally yes there are certainly people who've kind of have had an adult faith but have, have had to really reconsider and, and sort of, you know, ask themselves whether it makes sense because they've run into, you know, a significant issue, suffering, whatever it might be. And I've met so many people, you know, certainly on the Unbelievable Show over the years who have had that story. You could say they've, if they weren't ex-Christians, they were teetering on the edge of becoming an ex-Christian. But very frequently what I found is these deconstruction stories where people have had to you know, pull apart maybe some bad theology they grew up with or whatever. Um, it can, you know, sometimes that story can go to a kind of place where it's still deconstructed and it's just everything's lying on the floor and it's, you know, and you can't seem to put it back together. But I also bump into a lot of people who do put it back together again. Sometimes it's after a long period of working out how to do that. But I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised to find people who thought that they wouldn't be able to put it together but then find actually ah there's a different way of looking at this um and and so i have met a lot of people who have reconstructed after deconstruction sometimes that does mean you know overhauling you know that that belief you were given about the way you should interpret the book of genesis you know and realize that there's there are different ways of understanding that and it doesn't rule out a kind of long process of life on earth or something like that other times it's going to be people who who just kind of grew up with a kind of very toxic form of religion, which was very authoritarian in some way. And they just have to have their picture of God reshaped um, by that. Um, I mean, what's really interesting to me, I don't know if you've come across this story recently, Joshua, is even after writing the book and it getting published, I've found more stories coming through of people, you know, these secular intellectuals giving God a second look. And one of the most recent is a woman called Ayan Hersi Ali, who, um, mm was a Somali-born ex-Muslim who became very much part of the new atheist set of speakers and thinkers, wrote this book called Infidel and, you know, spoke at many kind of atheist settings about the dangers of religion and really was railing against Islam. But she now has just recently written an article and spoken on this about the fact she now considers herself a Christian. And this might have been the last person you would expect to, to come to that perspective, given her history. And yet what she found was that 
she realized in the end you know to just summarize you know what she says in this article and what i've seen her saying elsewhere that what she really was railing against was a specific version of god it was the islamic version of god that she'd been presented with Hmm. and she found in the end that atheism wasn't a satisfactory alternative it didn't give the kind of meaning that she was looking for in life and it didn't it couldn't provide a bullock against the kind of civilizational issues that we face in our culture as well either on the kind of progressive left or the kind of the authoritarian right and she realized when she was speaking to it i think it was her therapist who helped her to realize this she said well if you could believe in a god what kind of a god would you believe in and she found herself describing jesus christ basically and she realized maybe Maybe I need to give God a second chance. Um, so that was just that's just another interesting example of someone who kind of, you could say, completely deconstructed religion at one level, was kind of in the atheism for 20 plus years. And then suddenly, whoa, she's calling herself a Christian now. These things happen, you know, and I'm always surprised, but but it does happen. It's so fascinating. Yeah, the, these stories are are really interesting. In that particular chapter, there's one word that uh, comes to me now as as you're talking talking about a, a faith that's like a straitjacket, if you will. You know that that some people um, grow up with. But I really enjoyed some of those those stories. And one was um, around a listener that picked up a Peter Kreeft book that was that was mentioned and it, it led to an email exchange with uh with Peter and, and the listener. Yeah, it's re- really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's a it's a fun story. Um and and I've got to know Nico a little bit um since since nice. he told me his story. But yeah, fascinating. Again, someone who I think rejected their kind of the Catholicism of their youth because they'd kind of you know been talked out of it by books like the god delusion you know and and i think nico just felt like uh you know it's it wasn't cool almost to be to be (laughs) a christian or a person of faith you know and and generally he just grew up even though he grew up in a nominally kind of catholic education he said that basically all the messaging he received was basically no this is just made up stuff it's fairy tales and everything else and that is just generally you know the skeptical nature of a lot of the culture we live in these days but yeah it was interesting it was i think it was and and this again is an important part of the story it's never just an intellectual journey in my experience there's usually a kind of a an emotional component or or, or something a life experience if you like that that often is a catalyst because for him i think it was um his wife um uh becoming pregnant or or they were trying for children at least and he decided well well, if i'm doing this i should probably think this through a bit more and so he started listening to shows debating religion he happened to stumble across my one and that it was listening it was hearing this catholic philosopher peter kreef on one of my shows that led him to just happened to see a um a kind of a book of his i think his wife saw one in a bargain sort of bookstore (laughs) happened to to, i think have some way of contacting peter on it he emailed him they started an email correspondence that changed nico's life suddenly all kinds of things started to make sense that hadn't made sense for him before and then there was this whole kind of emotional component about you know the struggles they had actually conceiving and what happened in the end there so all of that led to this yeah this conversion of nico again someone who you know at you know in his mid-20s would never have thought that he was ever heading in that direction 
and it's surprising what can happen when the right circumstances happen and the right kind of and you kind of open yourself up to the possibility at an intellectual level that this could be true as well yeah well it's such a pleasure to connect with you justin our our time has flown by we're uh at the time of this uh wrap-up question that we we ask each guest it's how do you define or think about wisdom in daily life great question um i think wisdom um there's 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 uh, you've probably heard this one before so forgive me but but they often say there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom um knowledge is knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit (laughs) wisdom is not putting it in your fruit salad um because actually wisdom is about something that's actually uh something that something that's more about intuition and knowledge going together um we we live in a very technologically sophisticated world you know i feel like there's less wisdom (laughs) in our culture (laughs) than there ever has been wisdom is something actually that doesn't come with increased knowledge technology science and everything else it's something that actually has always been around and that our forebears had and that sometimes we need to listen to some of those those voices and those traditions um yes we need to transpose them into our modern setting sometimes but but wisdom is is something that we can learn it's something that we need to often enter into a tradition it's something we need to step into a stream of it's not something you can necessarily just observe abstractly from the outside that's why i would say the christian tradition that i am part of is something that you you can spend some time poking around at it from the outside um and some people need to do that you know at an intellectual level but ultimately you'll only get it you'll only understand you'll only engage that wisdom if you actually take that step of faith and step into that stream open the door and enter sometimes things look different on the inside than they do on the outside and so that would be my advice wisdom is about actually faith it's it's engaging something not just thinking about it abstractly it's about going and doing something in the end well i love the uh the image of stepping into the stream something we've probably talked about previously of trying to learn learn to swim from the edge of the pool sometimes we've got to We've got to get in. So that's uh, that's beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much. Again, your book is The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. Are there any particular sites or uh, places that you might point our listeners, Justin? Well, you're very welcome to go to my website, justinbriley.com. Um, you can get the book there. Uh, you can even get signed copies of the book uh, if you'd like to purchase one via my site. But that's also a good place to discover this new podcast as well, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, exactly the same name. But it's a much deeper dive um, as well. It's a great companion to the book. If you get the book, listen to the podcast as well, because um, we're going on a big journey with the podcast, sketching out some of these new stories that I couldn't include in the book as well. People like Anne Hersey Alley and so on. So, um, yeah, um, listen, get the podcast, read the book. JustinBriley.com is the best place to go for both. Well, beautiful. And I highly recommend the podcast that I listened to a couple episodes in the last couple of days. It's really high quality, really well done. So congrats on that. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to check it out. Justin Brierly, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. Thanks for having me on. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, I encourage you to put what you heard into practice. 
If you're interested in more podcasts, meditations, and courses on the art of living, consider checking out our daily newsletter, Perennial Meditations on Substack. Until next time, be wise and be well.